Today, if you would, turn to the book of Colossians. Um, I thought it was a little ironic when Pastor Joe was talking this morning about the first letter that he went through with you guys is actually Colossians. And that was actually one of the passages that I had picked out. I had no idea. But I picked this passage out, just one of the passages that the Lord laid on my heart. Um, I'm going to be preaching out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. But... For sake of context, I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 1 and read all the way through 14. So, read God's word with me. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ and Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and multiplying, just as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Paphras, our beloved fellow slave, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, who also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued us from the authority of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to open your word. I pray that you would guide my words, help me to preach correctly and preach what you are trying to say through this passage to us and that I would be able to apply it to our lives and to our lives as we just strive to seek after you with all of our hearts. And we know that we can't do it on our own. We know that we need your help. And so we're asking you now that you would help us understand your word, help us to apply your word. And I pray that you would work in all of our hearts this evening and that we would all come away just knowing that the word has been spoken to us and that we can apply it to our lives. And I pray that you would just guide me and help me to get rid of my nerves and just help me to say what your word says. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the date was November 26, 1941. And American officials again came to the Japanese and they had a 10-point proclamation. So they had 10 things they wanted the Japanese to do, and these were long-standing things. They didn't want the Japanese to have their troops in China, all that, t- all that type of thing. I don't know all 10 points, but the Japanese weren't really happy about it. So what they did was that same day, they sent out a legion, so several ships, so six aircraft carriers, along with 414 airplanes, and they had one goal, and that goal was the utter destruction of the United States Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor. So they set out on that day, November 26th, for a 3,500-mile journey. And 
as they were as they were doing that journey, that 3,500-mile journey across over to the U.S., it, they kept complete radio silence. So obviously they didn't want the U.S. to know what they were doing. So that, that entire time, they traveled across that 3,500 miles, and they landed just 230 miles away from Pearl Harbor. And on December 7th, we all know the day, at 1941, at 6 a.m., they launched from their ships. And... And the entire first wave of planes left then, and then another second, second wave of planes came at 7.30 a.m. But when that first, that first line of planes, so they were coming up, and they saw on the horizon, they saw Pearl Harbor, and that was right at 7.30 a.m., so just an hour and a half after they took off. And 23 minutes after they sighted that land, Captain, Captain Fuchida, I, I think I said his name right, he was leading the group, and he shouted, Torah, Torah, Torah which meant tiger, tiger, tiger. This was their code that they had caught the U.S. off guard. So that was the code to the, the other ships to send more, send more airplanes. And they had indeed caught us off guard. We didn't know they were coming. But there were two, there's several different things, several different ways that the Americans did know they were coming, but they were caught off guard still. So what, what happened? There was some miscommunication there. So obviously there was, in Washington that same day, there was a decrypted message that they found that was talking about this attack, and it made it to an official, but nothing ever happened. They never, they never were on guard for it. And then there was another, another incident where there were some younger recruits, and they saw that there was this huge wave of planes coming on the radar. I mean, they had radar at Pearl Harbor, and this huge wave of planes was still was sighted and everything. They, they wrote it out. They said, we didn't know these planes were coming. They took it to their official, and he's just like, oh, there were some other planes expected some, from somewhere else. So he didn't heed that warning either. And what happened? There was utter destruction, utter chaos, and we lost nearly 2,500 American lives that day. And Japan went on to take out several other bases all throughout the Pacific. But what was really the issue? They, we didn't have a good warning system. We didn't know. We knew that they were coming, but we still weren't prepared. We still weren't ready. And going back to tying this into Colossians now, at the Colossian church, they were doing well. I mean, they were growing, they were growing in love, like Paul says um, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for your saints. And even they heard from Epaphras in, in verse 7, as we learned from Epaphras. So Epaphras was telling them about this church in Colossae and they, that they were doing well. They were growing in love. But then Paul says, Paul's trying to give them some warnings. He's like, there's still some false teaching out there. Obviously, we live in a fallen world. There's still going to always be false teachers. And so he's giving them these warnings, and he wants them to heed the warnings so that they don't completely go off the rails, go off the tracks, and believe this false doctrine. So there's several different key issues that Paul addresses in the book of Colossians. So the first key issue that he addresses is if you look over at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he first addresses the issue that the false doctrine consists of local myths or traditions. So let me read chapter 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So what he's saying here is, these people that are teaching the false doctrine, one of the, the first thing was it's just a lot of tradition. 
and they, he doesn't want them. We should our religion, our Christianity is not just based on tradition. It's based on what Christ has done for us. And so he's like, this, you guys in the church, you need to, you need to see that it's not just tradition. We're not just doing this because we've all we've always done it this way. We don't want to see the church as just a rule book of traditions. Oh, we've always done it this way. We've always used this hymnal, or we've always sat in this part of the church. But he wants them to see this is what Christ has done for you. You don't need to. You don't need to be controlled by tradition. So that was the first kind. That was the first biggest part of the false doctrine. The second part of the false doctrine had to do with Gnosticism. So Gnosticism, it starts with a G. Surprisingly, I don't know how, but this was this was a form of heresy that had to do with earthly knowledge. So these people believed that you could fill yourself up with knowledge, and after you filled yourself up with all this knowledge, you didn't need any faith. But you could have salvation if you, just had, if you just knew all these facts, if you just knew all the right stuff. So we see this if you look over at chapter 3, verse 2, where this is a very, very well-known verse. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So he's telling them, don't look at all this earthly knowledge. This isn't going to save you, but look to Christ and what he's done, and that's going to save you. And as Pastor Joe was saying, Christ is really the forefront of the of the book of Colossians is really Paul's talking about our we should be filled in the fullness of Christ and what Christ has done for us we shouldn't be filled with all these world this worldly knowledge isn't going to save you but it's what Christ has already done that's going to save you so that was that was the second thing that gnosticism and we also see that later in verse um, chapter 3 verse 10 he says and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him and He's talk, this full knowledge he's talking about isn't this worldly, worldly knowledge that the false teachers are preaching, but it's this knowledge, he says, it's who, the new man who's being renewed to the full knowledge. He doesn't stop there. He says, according to the image of the one. Who's the one? Christ Jesus. So our knowledge is different than the world's knowledge. Our knowledge is of Christ Jesus. So that's the second thing. So the first false doctrine had to do with Traditions. The second one had to do with Gnosticism. And then the third kind of subset we see of this false doctrine that's being preached has to do with asceticism. And what this is, if you think about Martin Luther's life, when before his conversion, he a lot of like self-discipline. So basically, our works are going to be what gets us to heaven, is what asceticism says. And, and Paul refutes this then in Colossians 2.23. He says... Which are matters having, to be sure, a word of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So he's saying, no matter what you do on your own, no matter how much you maybe hurt yourself or maybe you keep yourself from eating for so long or something. But he's saying, this is of no worth and this is of no value against your own flesh, your own evil man. That's not going to help you if you do those things. So this is kind of the context of what Paul sees in the church. So he, he's hearing about these things from Epaphras. He, he hears that they're doing well, but these are the false doctrines that he's trying to combat. So now that we kind of have that big picture of what all of the false doctrine was that Paul is combating, we see ultimately that none of these are what Christ, none of these are the correct preaching of the gospel. None of them have to do with Christ. And we see that going back to um, chapter 2, verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you through captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. But the biggest thing we focus on here, and not according to Christ. 
So all of these things, this whole list of things that I just went through, so asceticism, Gnosticism, tradition, not according to Christ. So these were all, all false, false doctrine. So, so Paul is really writing this to remind them that their fullness is in Christ, and he is warning them that they shouldn't go back to these traditions, because obviously traditions are things that they were used to before they became Christians. Obviously, not everyone in the church in Colossae was saved forever. No one's saved forever. We're all born sinners. But what he's saying is we shouldn't be basing anything on these traditions, this Gnosticism, this focus on thinking you can work your way to heaven through gaining knowledge or anything like that. But we should base it off of what Christ has done for us. And that's really the whole focus of, of Colossians. So we see that kind of that flyover picture of Colossians and what the issues are there. And now we're going to hone in a little bit on Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14, which is Paul's prayer for the, for the Colossians and and what's his purpose for this prayer? His purpose for this prayer is to give them three different guidelines for spiritual growth. So that's the title of my sermon today, Guidelines for Spiritual Growth. Because in this prayer, Paul outlines three specific ways that the Corinthian, or, sorry, the Colossians can be growing in their faith. And even though they're doing well, even though they're seemingly on the right track, should we stop praying for them? Should we not support them because they're doing the right thing? No, we should continue to support them, continue to pray for them. And he already knows there's this false tradition, false heresy in the church that's trying to sneak its way in. So he's like, even though you guys are doing well, I'm going to pray for you in these three areas. So my first point today is, first we'll see that a healthy believer is filled with God's knowledge. A healthy believer is filled with God's knowledge. So we see this in, in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, so like I said, Paul is praying for the Colossian church, even though they're doing well, even though they're seemingly on the right, on the right way spiritually. And he continues to pray for them. And I know a lot in my life, when I, when I go to pray, it's not, oh, I'm doing well, so help me keep doing well. It's, I know this person's struggling. I know, I know this person's struggling with, with sickness, or this person really has a hard time with this class, or this person is just lost their, their parent. And even though those are great prayer requests, that there's nothing wrong with praying for needs. Christ prayed for needs. But one thing that we need to remember to do is pray for people who are doing well that they would continue to grow in Christ-likeness and continue to grow closer to God because everyone is constantly, sanctification is progressive, so they're constantly growing closer in, in their relationship to Christ, and they, they need our prayer too. And so Paul knows that, and, and prayer is a huge part of Paul's life. Like we see um, just a little bit earlier, Colossians 1.3, he says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So Paul's always praying for the, Col the Colossians. And so he just puts in this prayer in 9 through 14 to say, here's one of our prayers for you guys. And so we really, his first prayer request consists of being filled with God's knowledge. So what exactly is God's knowledge? What is, what is spiritual wisdom and understanding? What, are all, what do all those terms mean? So like I said, one of the main things that the Colossian church was struggling with was that there were these Gnostics who said, you can get to heaven on knowledge, on not faith, just knowledge. So you can fill your, fill your head with all these things, and they can get you to heaven, but you don't need to rely on Jesus Christ's work. You can just get to heaven. And Paul's like, wait a second. 
So you're skipping, so it's, it's okay to have knowledge, but you're skipping the whole faith part and, and trying to disconnect that from Christ's work and say, oh, I can get to heaven without Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, wait a second, that's, that's not right. So he says that they should be filled with God's knowledge. So this filling of God's knowledge is a theme that he, we see throughout the book. So, for example, I'm going to say some quick references. So in 2.2, he says they should have the full assurance of understanding and the full knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. In 2.9 through 10, he says, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled. And then in 4.12, he says, Fully assured in all the will of God. So this theme of fullness isn't something new. He, this, he keeps coming back to this and telling them that they should be filled with Christ, with the knowledge of Christ, so what Christ has done for them. And he's saying knowledge isn't a bad thing, but God's knowledge is different than the world's knowledge. They're trying to go around what Christ has done, but here you need to focus on what Christ has done for you. And knowledge we also see as a key theme too. Look at um, in 2.3, he says, he mentions wisdom and knowledge. In 2.23, he says he has a word of wisdom. And then in 3.10, a full knowledge according to the image of the one who is Jesus Christ. And then in 3.16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And then in 4.5, he says, walk in wisdom. So wisdom and God's knowledge really are kind of equated here in this passage. And so he says, be filled with God's, God's things, not, not the earthly things, not the earthly knowledge that's not according to Jesus Christ. And so Paul's prayer request is really a heavy one. To be filled with God's knowledge is not an easy task for us. We need God's help for that. And we need to be in God's word for that. And to be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding is a heavy task. And spiritual understanding doesn't come from the people in this world. The science doesn't have the answers that God has for us. And, and it won't answer everything like God can. And so how do we get this how do we get God's knowledge? So God re really reveals himself through his word and through the Holy Spirit's help and that's one of the main ways that we get it and one of the ways that we can get this knowledge and wisdom is by asking for it like we see in James 1:5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generous, generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. So God promises to give us wisdom if we ask for it. And a lot of times it's hard to ask for something, even though, even though it's something like wisdom, it's hard to ask for it, even though you know somebody's going to give you something. But God commands us to still do that and to, to ask him, and he will give it generously. He promises that in his word. And, and God also talks about the things of this world, the knowledge of this world, and how it's different than his knowledge. So, for example, in Romans 1, 21 through 22, he talks about this worldly knowledge. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So people of this world, they're professing to be wise. The wisest people in our world throw out anything spiritual. They just think that they, are, they can get all their answers through science, through studying, getting long, long degrees, being in college for 10, 15 years, they think they have all the answers. They, they think spiritual things are foolishness because that knowledge is different than God's knowledge. And so 
Um, another example of this is in Jeremiah 17.9, where God reminds us that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we don't have this knowledge in our, of ourselves that's going to save us. But God is the one who can give us that knowledge as long as we ask for it. And this knowledge, this word knowledge is epignosis, which is the original Greek. Gnosis is just knowledge. And epi is like a superlative. So this is God's most full, fullest knowledge. So it isn't just something that you're going to, that you're just going to know right away, but something that God has to grant to you. And you should be filled with this knowledge. So you should be searching after it, trying to fill yourself up with it all the time. So being in God's word all the time, asking God to grant this wisdom to you. And one of the best, so we've just recently had the holidays. So we had Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And when I think of Thanksgiving, what does everyone usually think of? Probably food, right? So we have our turkey, we have our stuffing, we have our mashed potatoes. And I usually eat more than I should. And at about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm feeling a little tired. I'm not feeling hungry. <laughs> I'm feeling very stuffed, very full. And that's the same way it is when we fill ourselves with God's word. We know it. We can feel it. It changes us through God's Holy Spirit. And so in that same way, we should be filled with and controlled by God's word and with God's knowledge through all spiritual wisdom. And um, commentator Kent Hughes really points out well that the scriptures and God's word becomes the primary source of this knowledge for the believer as they are studied in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's help as we read God, God's word then he reveals his knowledge to us through God's word. So that's, that's really the biggest thing is reading God's word, meditating on God's word, memorizing God's word, and letting it change you through the Holy Spirit's help. So a specific application for the first point, a healthy believer is filled with God's knowledge, is like I said, do you have a specific time that you read God's word? Do you have a specific time that you meditate upon God's word, a specific time or a specific way that you memorize scripture. And meditation isn't just a one-time event. Meditation is something you always do. So you're always thinking about the things of God, God's word. Um, and one of the ways that we can meditate on God's word, I mean, like Psalm 119.97 says, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. So one of the verses that Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the things of God can control you in the same way that being filled with wine controls you. So when we are filled with God's word, there's going to be a natural outflow, a natural controlling of the Spirit that comes when we meditate on God's word and memorize God's word. So first we saw that a healthy believer is filled with God's knowledge in verse 9. And that's, the, that's really the first prayer request that Paul has. And secondly, we're going to see that a healthy believer is controlled by God's word in verses 10 through 11. A healthy believer is controlled by God's word, verses 10 through 11. So let me read those verses. So he says, let me read verse 9 as well. So he says, for this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask you that, and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So through studying God's word, you can be filled with those things so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, 
bearing fruit in every good work, and multiplying in the full knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. So we have a big so that in verse 10, which is saying, if you do this, this is going to be the natural outflow. So if you're filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding through, this, through the Holy Spirit's help, then all of these things will happen. So you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You'll bear fruit and multiply in the full knowledge of God. So he mentions the full knowledge again. And then you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and mercy. So, and you don't just have steadfastness and patience, but you have joyous steadfast and patience. So what we, what we see here is, again, once you do this, so are filled with the knowledge of God, it has these natural outflows. So um, just like Psalm 119.97 says, where the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So, so the psalmist, as we know, David was a man after God's own heart. And he always meditated on God's word. And just like Psalm 1 says, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water if you're, always, if you're in God's word. And that changes you. And it changes you and conforms you into the image of God. And so Paul's prayer really is, if you have this right attitude towards God's, will, God's word, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you, to fill you with this wisdom and this knowledge of God, then it will lead to these right actions. And it will, it will be evidenced in the way that you live. And if we look at John 15, too, where Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches, the branches will have fruit if they're in the vine. And so, again, we see that evidence of if a believer is in Jesus Christ, in God's word, then there's going to be a natural outflow in the way that they live. And, and Paul illustrates this so well by talking about a walk. So everybody walks. We walk, we walk to the store, we walk around the church. Anytime we're not sitting, we're walking or running or jogging or walking really slow. <laughs> so this is something we're always doing. We're always walking. And, and Paul's like, you're always walking. So you need to, you should walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And so the same way that we're always walking somewhere, we should always be meditating on God's word. We should always be looking to see God helping us to be more like him in the way that we live. And this, this walk is something that's seen throughout the, throughout the New Testament. Um, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says, So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And he doesn't leave us to do this work ourselves, obviously. If we look at Ephesians 3.16-17, he says that he would give you according to the riches of his glory, so that, your Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts firmly. So this is something that Jesus Christ helps us to do as we're going through this walk. He doesn't leave us to our own, just let us do it ourselves. And that's the, that's the thing that, um, kind of like Martin Luther, he was trying to do it himself, and he realized he couldn't do it himself. He needed God's help. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's like, you should, have a, you should walk after a manner that is worthy, but none of us are ever going to be able to walk after a manner that is worthy of Jesus Christ. None of us are going to be able to measure up to the perfect man that Jesus Christ was and is. So we're basically doomed if we try to do it on our own, apart from God's help. And so that's why Paul's saying you can't be filled with the knowledge of the things of this world and try to do it yourself, but you have to let God help you, let the Holy Spirit help you as you read God's word. So 
Um, and then another, so first we see that there's that walk that we have, and then the next phrase that he talks about is how they should bear fruit in every good work and multiply to the full knowledge of God. So again, we see multiply to the full knowledge of God, which is that meditation on God's word, that memorization of God's word through the Holy Spirit's help, but we see bearing fruit in every good work. So like I said, John 15, when I am the vine, you are the branches, those branches do bear fruit. And so... Um, John MacArthur points out that fruit could be a lot of different things. So throughout the Bible, fruit is um, spoken of as those who have been converted to Christ in 1 Corinthians 16.15. Fruit could be praise to God. We see that in Hebrews 13.15. Fruit could be giving cheerfully to God. So Romans 15.26-28 says that. Or fruit could be living a godly life. So we see that in Hebrews 12.11. All of these fall under Paul's reference of these fruitful good works that should be that natural outflow of the full knowledge of God that we should have. All of these apply. And this, the reason that he mentions the full knowledge of God again, he says increasing in the full knowledge of God. It shouldn't just be, oh, I'm filled with God's knowledge and then I get to move on with my life. It's just back, I mean, I learned about it already. No, we should be continuously filling our lives with and filling our mind with the things of God and it should be increasing is that is that verb that continuous verb and ongoing verb that doesn't just we don't just know the things of God and then we get to move on but we are knowing the things of God we are learning the things of God continuously increasing in the things of God through the holy spirit's help and so that's what Paul that's why Paul reemphasizes how important it is to have that knowledge of God through God's word and and then the next phrase we see here is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And this power comes directly from God and God's word and what he's already done for us. And when we are meditating on God's word and relying on him for strength, then we will have that strength in those, in those hard times. And when we, when we do have rough times, I mean, all of us are going to have those rough days, those hard times. And that's when we need to rely on God the most and rely on his strength, and he will give it to us if we ask for it, and he will help us. And that leads right into how we should have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So we'll be strengthened in the hard times, and he'll give us that patience and long-suffering in the other times. And I just find it funny here that he doesn't say you should be patient and long-suffering and then just move on, but he says you should be patient and long-suffering with joy. So there might be, I know there's always that one person, there's someone in my life, they're hard to get, harder to get along with than everyone else. I mean, they're just a stick in the mud, they're always mad, they, they're hard to get along with, they're hard to play games with or just do fun stuff with. And Paul's like, you should have patience with them, but you shouldn't just have patience with them, you should have joyful patience with them. And so Paul's like, this is hard, but this is even harder, and you can't do this on your own. And you're not going to be able to have joyful patience on your own. And he's saying, God will help you to do that. And, and one thing that, one quote that I really liked from Warren Wiersbe, he explains, patience has primarily to do with circumstances, while long-suffering has to do with people. So, so Paul's saying, it, you should have patience in hard circumstances, and you should have long-suffering with hard-to-get-along people, and you should do both joyfully. And so... Even just, again, emphasizing we can't do it on our own. I can't do that on my own. But through the Holy Spirit's help, through God's help, through God's word, 
we can do that. And he does strengthen us according to his might for that. And, and one verse that also emphasizes this patience and this pers- perseverance we have is Romans 5, 3-4. through And it says, And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance. So this patience is brought about through our afflictions. And then we can also see that, he, that God helps us to have, have that joyful patience even when we're having afflictions and trials and temptations in our lives. He can still work through those and help us grow. And, and we see that the main way that this happens, so we see that so that statement again. So verse 9, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy. And I brought, I brought my gloves along today to kind of illustrate this. So these, glo- these are some great gloves. So these are leather gloves, and they got some nice wool inside them to keep my fingers warm whenever it gets cold up over in West Virginia. So we live in like 3,500 feet above sea level, so it gets pretty cold up there sometimes. And these gloves are great, so I can grab things with these gloves. I can wave at people with these gloves. I can do things like this. I can pick stuff up, pick up my Bible. So are these gloves picking up the Bible? Yeah. Can the gloves pick up the Bible now? Can they wave at anybody now? No. So, so the gloves were waving, yeah. So the gloves waving now. But it's not waving anymore. So these, this, is, this is my life without God. And when I ask him to help me, he can help me. He can help me wave at other people if I ask him. And he can... He can help and work through my life, but if I don't rely on him, where am I at? I'm nowhere. If I don't, if I don't read his word, or if I don't rely on him, if I don't walk worthy of him, if I don't meditate on his word, if I don't read his word, if I don't have a relationship with him, if I don't pray, that's where I'm at. But when I rely on the Holy Spirit, when I'm filled with his knowledge, with God's word, then I can wave around. Then I can, then I can interact. Then I can then I can show what Christ does through me. And it's, it's not through me, but what Christ has done. And that's, that's what's so important, is that we need to be filled with this knowledge. Then the Holy Spirit would control us and help us walk worthy. We're not walking worthy on our own, on our own earthly knowledge, but through God's help. And so, like this glove, these gloves, we can't, we can't be godly on our own. We can't produce fruit on our own. We have to be of the vine. And we have to be rooted in the vine. And we, to be patient in hard situations is not easy. To be patient joyously in hard situations is not easy. To walk worthy of God is not easy. To produce fruit in our life is impossible without God. We can do good works, but we know that those are just filth. Those are nothing compared to what God has done. So we need to remember that we need to walk in a manner, but... Paul's saying this manner that you walk in isn't rooted in what you do, but it's worded in it's rooted in God's word. So first we saw that a healthy believer is filled with God's knowledge in verse 9. And then secondly, we saw that a healthy believer is controlled by God's word. And thirdly, now we're going to see that a healthy believer is thankful for God's work. So let me read verses 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share. And the inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's like, so be filled with God's knowledge, 
walk after a manner worthy of God, and all these things will happen. And then he's like, be thankful. <laughs> be thankful for what God has done. Be thankful for the way that he works in your life. And this is a very rich passage. I could spend an entire message just on verse 12 and just what God has done for us and God's work in our lives. And so Paul ends this prayer for the Colossians with a final reminder that they should be thankful for what God has done for them. He outlines the entire gospel from start to finish. A healthy believer's life should be characterized by an attitude toward God's word and God's knowledge that leads to a change in their life. This change comes about through our work, not, not our work, but through God's work in our life. And so he's saying, we have been qualified to, be, to share in this inheritance of the saints in light. So we were saved from our sins. I mean, how big of a gift is that? Should you be thankful for that kind of gift and what God has done for us and qualified us for eternal life and joy with him to worship him for all of eternity? And it's not like we accidentally sidestepped and almost and walked in a little puddle, but we were saved from a drowning ocean of our sin. And God clearly did not save us because we were striving after him, but because he loved us. And not because we first loved him, but because God first loved us, we loved him. And this sinful estate we've he qualified us. He sees us as righteous now, even though we're not righteous. And he sees Jesus Christ on our behalf, even though we are still sinful, we're still qualified to have eternal life because of what Jesus Christ has done and what God has done by sending his son, Jesus Christ, for us. So he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. That's the first thing. He who rescued us from the authority of darkness. So this is amazingly rich doctrine here. He's He's saying, you haven't only been qualified for eternal life, you've been rescued from the authority of darkness. We were bound in our chains, in our chains of sin. We couldn't do anything on our own. We couldn't save ourselves. We were slaves to sin. We could only do the same bad things over and over and over and over. And we loved our sin, but we were, still, we were bound by it so badly that we hated our sin, but we still couldn't do anything but still continue to sin. And God's like... You were rescued from you were rescued by God, Paul says, who rescued you from the authority of darkness. So he set you free from those chains of sin, and now you're a slave to Jesus Christ, who has qualified you for eternal life, and he stands on our behalf and is now interceding for us on our behalf, even though we are still sinners. And and then the final phrase that he says, he transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love. So again, amazingly amazing words that Paul uses here to communicate what God has done through sending his son, Jesus Christ. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his son, of his love. So this love that he's given to believers. And, and even we can see this, this rescuing, the, this form of rescuing in Ephesians 2.1, where he says, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, However, we were rescued by God when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And, and we are under God's authority now. We're not under the authority of darkness. We're not under the authority of Satan. But we are under God's authority now. And even though Satan is the power of the air of this world, God is still in control of everything that's happening. God is still sovereign in our lives and still helping us to grow closer to him in our relationship to him. 
And on September 8th in 1860, so this is another story back from back pretty far, there was a ship called the Lady Elgin. So she was making her final voyage across one of the great, one of the great lakes, and fatefully, she ran a different ship, the Augusta, just rammed into her. And the Lady Elgin's captain was like, I don't think the damage was that bad. So he just kept going on through the lake. And eventually the ship just started sinking, and he didn't even realize it. And there were 300 people on board. And uh, fortunately, they were near um, Northwestern University, and Northwestern University had a life-saving team. So they had a whole bunch of people that um, were trained in saving lives and swimming. So they went out, um, and one individual named... Edward, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Edward Spencer. Edward Spencer was one of the main people on that life-saving team from Northwestern University, and he saved 18 people himself over the course of six hours. So six hours battling the waves, six hours swimming back and forth to land, and, and between he saved 18 people. Unfortunately, 300 people died that day, but those 18 people survived. And all thanks to Edward Spencer, who had gone out and saved them. But years later, when he was visited by some reporters, he recollected not one of those rescued ever came back and even said thank you. Nobody out of those 18 people ever thanked him for saving their life. And so how more should we be thankful for what God has done in our life and in the lives of all of us, for all of the people in the, that are believers in Christ and how thankful can we be when he saved us from our sins and we have eternal life in him? God has so, done so much more than Edward Spencer could have ever tried to do. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to take us out of the authority of darkness and transfer us into his kingdom and to give us eternal life. And as we believe in him and as the Holy Spirit works in us, then we are progressively sanctified and grow closer in our relationship to him. So we've seen three different guidelines that Paul outlines for those who are looking to grow spiritually. And so we saw that healthy believers will first be filled with the knowledge of God. And secondly, they will be controlled by the, the knowledge of God's will. And lastly, they're going to be thankful for what God has done through his work, through God's work. So even though the church at Colossae was doing well, Paul was still praying for them. There were still ways they could improve, and there were still like these, like these three things we see in this prayer that he wanted them to continue growing in. And there was, there was this heresy in the church, the terrible um, Gnosticism and asceticism and the traditions that, the, that the, false, the false teachers were preaching. But Paul was like, here's three ways that you can continue to grow, continue to be grown through the Holy Spirit's work, through God's word. So um, I have three points of final application. So first off, fill yourself with God's knowledge and not the knowledge of this evil world system that we live in. And it's so easy just turning on the television, um, watching the news, reading any news stories. This world is not a friendly place to believers anymore. And even though it seemed to be before, it's definitely not now. And we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's word and meditate on God's word and be changed through God's word, through the Holy Spirit's help. And so we shouldn't fill ourselves with the knowledge of this world. And contrary to what every scientist or genius is saying, God's word does have the truth. God's word is true. And God's word is the only thing that's going to change us and conform us into his image. And so 
um, the answers that we're looking for are not going to be found through science or what, what the world says is science, but they're going to be found in, in God's word and in God's knowledge. And secondly, so firstly, we don't want to just fill ourselves with God's knowledge and not the knowledge of this evil world system, but also we want to ask the Holy Spirit to control our lives as we study God's word. So studying God's word is very important, but studying it apart from the Holy Spirit's help is nothing. It's just as bad as the knowledge of this, of this world. We can't, we can't discern this on our own, but we need the Holy Spirit's help to show us what God's word is, what God's word is saying. And so we need to, like James 1.5 says, ask for that wisdom that God so liberally gives to us when we ask for it. And so we just need to ask for it. And asking is not as hard as we think it is, but it is something that we need to continuously do and continuously be filled with God's knowledge and let it control our lives. The same way that I was controlling these gloves is the same way that God needs to control our lives and we need to give ourselves up to, to God's control. And Ephesians 5.22, Paul speaks of this again. He says, Lay aside, in reference to your former conduct, the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and, being renew and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God. So, the, so like I said, this old man that was under the authority of darkness, we got that removed. God took those chains off of us and redeemed us to himself. And so we should put off the old man and put on the new man in, in Christ through the, and be renewed in the spirit of our mind through God's word. And lastly... We need to be visibly and outwardly thankful for what God has done for us. So I know it's hard for me. I'm a very task-oriented per person, so I just like, so if I'm going to get groceries, I go to the grocery store, I go to aisle nine and pick up the item, and then I'm out. But I need to remember in my life, I need, we need to be thankful in everything that we do, everyone that we come across, and not see people as inconveniences for the tasks that we have to do, but we need to live out our thankfulness. And in everything that we do, whether that's having a good attitude in everything that we do or being willing to talk about what God has done for you and what God has done through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and to die for your sins. And so the gospel is really an out, a natural outflow of being thankful for what God has done for us. So you're, if you're here tonight and you're saying, what is this? God's knowledge. What is God's God's Holy Spirit? How does that work through God's Word? I don't understand how God was willing to send His Son Jesus Christ to die. And let me just tell you that God was sent, willing to send His Son Jesus Christ to die because He loved you, and not because you loved Him. And God offers a universal invitation to everyone to come and come and believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And that's what God tells us in His Word. And so. If you don't understand that, I would invite you to talk to me or Pastor Joe or any one of the other deacons and ask them, what is, what is God's knowledge? What is God's... I'm not thankful for what God's done because I don't know what he's done for me. I don't understand. And I would, I would challenge you to study God's word, to study this passage out more, and to talk to one of the leadership, the guys in the leadership here. And they will, we'll be able to help you see what God has done for your life by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. So I'm going to close in prayer and just ask God's blessing on the rest of our evening. Dear Lord, I thank you for today again and for letting me have the opportunity to speak from your word and for guiding all of the words that I said and for using me 
even though I'm unusable, I pray that you would just continue to help the church here and continue to help them grow, just like the Colossian church, just like you helped them grow, and help them to see that spiritual growth is not something stagnant, but it's something that's constant and continuous, and we need to rely on your help through the Holy Spirit to to help guide us and to help grow us closer to you. And it's not anything that we do, but it's what you've done already. And I pray that you would continue to work and continue to help us as we go about the rest of our week and throughout the new year. And I pray that you would help help us ultimately to love you more and to be thankful for you and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.